TikTok. Derek the Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex Talk with Derek Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. So, this episode is going to be very, very specifically, deliberately aimed at my helpers out there. This episode is going to be about race in the therapy room. How does this tie to sex? Might you be thinking, come on, Erica, why, why, why are you just aiming at therapists this time? Because all of our identities matter. Fundamentally, they matter. And being able to talk about racial identity in, the, in therapy for all of you who may be potential clients or clients out there, or the, those of you who are therapists, for you to be able to tackle this in your own therapy, all of this, all racial identity, any identity you have is essential to understanding how our bodies exist in the world. And I, I think race and sex are probably... Mm, more than likely two of the things that many of us who go through any kind of graduate school, many programs don't tackle. I want to introduce you all to Elizabeth McCorvey. I am just so blessed that you decided to come on my show. Elizabeth is a licensed clinical social worker, pronoun she, her, and you just essentially wrote this amazing protocol for therapists to be able to talk about race. Welcome to my show. Thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited to talk about all this. I know. We're going we're gonna to dive deep because I think that oftentimes, I've said so many times on my show before that sex on its own is one of the things therapists are not trained to talk well about or understand themselves or are incredibly uncomfortable to talk about. So let's just add yet another Thing that oftentimes they're incredibly uncomfortable to talk about in the therapy room, which is race. Mm -hmm. I'm going to walk through your protocol because it's just so wonderful. And you put right at the top, stop hesitating. A quick, highly directive guide to initiating conversation with your black clients about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and other lives lost, Minnesota, Louisville, and racial trauma. Yo, just, <laughs> you're a badass. I'm just saying. Thanks. Thanks. So, like, have you been getting lots of questions? Have your white friends, your white clinical, like, therapists, clinical social workers been in your DMs? Um, yes. <laughs> yes, a lot. I got lots. I got, I was so surprised by the response um, to the guide that I got. It was, it blew me away in a good way and also a frustrating way. Like, oh, <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? And I'm so glad that people did reach out and many, many people let me know that it was helpful to them, that they used it in their session that day because I really wanted something that people could just pick up and use like in half an hour. <laughs> yes. This is the, this is the crappy part because I, I like you, I, I wanted to get real pissed, right? Like how could you not know that you need to talk about race in your sessions or begin conversations with clients, whether people of color or not? about race because it is part of their identity. But then again, like you and I were talking before we got on, like how many programs, and you were talking about your own program, didn't address race. Let's maybe talk a little bit about that. Like in your initial trainings, like was it left out completely? It was not left out completely. And let me just back up track to what you're saying because I, I feel angry, but I'm also, I think most of it is just like exhaustion. I feel like just mostly tired. So my program, I specifically remember going into like, I don't even remember what book it was, but there was like 
one section of one chapter that said with black clients, they do this and they're like this with Asian clients, they're do this and they're like this with Pacific Islanders. They do this and they're like this with Mexican clients. They do this and they're like this. And that was kind of it. And you know, it was the hardest part for me. So I was in grad school between 2014 and 2015. It was a year long program. And that was at the same time as everything was going on in Ferguson, Mm. Missouri. And we didn't, I'm in a social work program and we didn't talk about it. Not once. I was like, we're social workers. Are you serious? (laughs) Um, And I was one of two or three black women in the program. And I felt like, and they got it way before I did, but I was at every turn raising my hand. Like, Oh, what about, uh, what about, uh, what about, (laughs) what about, (laughs) and it was not well received. Um, yeah, so that was a, that was a challenging time, but that was when I was first aware, like, oh, people are not prepared to go work with clients that are, um, walking in different shoes than they are, but they're going to go out and do it anyway. (laughs) Right. Like, and I I feel like as you describe that, I I feel now a little, maybe, I don't, I guess lucky, maybe that's the word. I don't know. Dr. Roberta, (laughs) I'm just picturing her, this just this wonderful, amazing black woman who led our cross cultural considerations class, and it was an entire semester. And she was dead set on making sure that we had experiential, wonderful perspectives from different people across different like racial identities, different gender identities, like, and wanted us to understand from the clinician perspective, your the shoes you are walking in are not the shoes everyone else around you is walking in and you need to be curious and understand that that these the shoes that they are walking in matter and how they are different from yours matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I just felt like I'm like okay we need, all right here's the work that therapists and social workers need to do and how we educate our people right like this the, being able to understand that our perspectives are not the only perspective in the world. So I, I just think that, that you just gave a wonderful example on like, Hey, like I got to raise my hand yet again mm-hmm. to, to show you that my experience matters. Yeah. And I like what you just said then to just be curious. I mean, that's, that's all it takes is just be curious. Don't pretend like you're author- the authority on someone else's experience. It takes so much pressure when you decide like, Oh, I don't have to know all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, all you have to do is open the door and then validate. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, so yeah, let's dive, let's dive right into the, to the protocol itself. So you, number one is you not sure where to start, pick a phrase, any phrase and tailor to your liking. I've been thinking about you lately with everything that's been going on in Minnesota and the racial trauma you might be experiencing. Would you like some space to process? Woo! You are asking permission right out the gate. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautifully put. Let's maybe let's talk a little bit about the importance of asking permission. Oh, it's consent, right? I yeah. mean, yep. Here's the tide <laughs> yeah. of sex, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because sometimes your black and brown clients might not want to talk about this with you, and if you, you know, impose your agenda and say, like, I see this going on in the world, and I want to talk about it with you. Who's ag- I mean, who's that really about? Um, but asking permission so that your client has the opportunity to say no if it doesn't feel safe or brave for them, right then. I think that when you ask someone permission, you are giving them the opportunity to make a decision about their own boundaries. 
Mm-hmm. Which doesn't happen in black no. and brown bodies. There's so much that we don't have. I read an awesome article the other day about the things that black and it was about black people, I think. But I think the things that black and brown people do not have permission to do. We don't have permission to express our emotions freely. We don't have permission to move in the world in a, and know that our surroundings are safe at all times. Um, so asking permission is a beautiful way to say, to invite that safe space that you've told the client is there. Yes, absolutely. And I think, I think you can actually do this super early in like, if you are, if you get to have a consultation call with someone before you bring them into your online session space, before you, if you are doing in-person therapy, which I hope y'all, the numbers are going up, (laughs) please just stay online a little longer. (laughs) But like that, when you ask permission, even out the gate, you can have, you're, you're providing a, a, a space to discuss that, oh, there's a different experience between the two of us. When I have a consultation with a client and I understand that their experience in the world is going to be different than mine because guess what? They're a different human being. They're going to have a different experience than mine. I, and I notice, I'm like, oh, okay, this person is black. I, I need to make sure. I need to say, hey, I, I am a white lady. How, are you comfortable doing therapy with me, a white lady? And I, I'm comfortable with whatever answer you are going to give me. You know, and I say that in a consultation call so that they get the permission to say, oh, okay, no, I'm not comfortable. And then I can help put them with a clinician that might be a better fit. Takes me out of the expert world and puts the client's needs first. Mm -hmm. It's empowering. It's empowering to have that opportunity. The next part of kind of your protocol, it's in quotation marks, like if, if the person, like the clinician has never brought up race before. We don't usually talk about race in our sessions, but I've been wondering how the news has been impacting you lately. So again, identifying the potential that this has not been talked about before. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and what that might bring to the room? Yeah. Um, when I wrote that, I was thinking about how, I mean, how I know, because I, I frequently lead trainings for therapists on how they can better serve their black and brown clients. And so often I hear that they're not talking about race in their sessions. And so I didn't want to write a suggestion assuming that people already knew what to do and how to do it. So I think in that phrase, there's an acknowledgement of you might already be doing, you might not already be doing this and you should be doing this. And here's a way to open the door because it's not too late. The best time was when you started working with them. The second best time to open the door is right now. So if you haven't done it, here's a way. Because it's not like your black and brown clients don't know that you're a different race. It's this weird elephant in the room where, that, no, that sometimes people don't mention. But your black and brown clients knew and you knew. And so it's valuable for the relationship, when you, especially when you look at it from like a power dynamic lens, to have that as something that is open for discussion if the client wants to. Yes. On the table. I say to the clinicians that I work with, I I say to even some of the clients that I work with, everything that's going on in this room between us is important. And the dynamics of race absolutely are. And I love what you said. (laughs) 
what you said. If you're white therapist and you've never brought up race in your sessions, you cannot possibly be doing enough of your own work, period. I'm not talking about if you brought it up once and they responded by closing the door. I mean, if you've never once acknowledged your white privilege in sessions. Let's talk a little bit about that. I'm a, a white lady. You are a black woman. And we are talking about this right now. This, there's a dynamic between us right now as we talk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, like, what is it like for then to us just acknowledge that and put it on the table in the room? Well, in our dynamic right now, of course, we came into this discussion knowing we were going to talk about race. But also, um, what it says to me is that there's, there are parts of my experience that I can let you in on knowing that we've addressed this thing in the room and I don't have to like, well, I might still, because I don't know you super well, but I don't have to as much tiptoe around the fact that we both know that there's something there and we're not talking about it. Like I don't have to hold back and I don't have to test the waters and see like, Oh, does she know that? Is she colorblind or like, is she, um, does she see me? Does she see that? She see the things that are happening in the world that might affect me in a different way. Like, so there's comfort in that. Absolutely. Like it, it, I think I, I kind of parallel this. I mean, before you and I started recording, I parallel a lot of these conversations with sex because that is often the elephant in the room is often sex as well, because I can't tell you how many times my clients come to me and say, you know, I brought up sex with my therapist and they, they just kind of got uncomfortable or said, no, mm-hmm. it's about communication or no, it's about this or no, it's about that. So again, like invalidating that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's, that's my lane is sex. So I am, I'm like, oh, okay, this is this in the, in the way of the discomfort of the clinician is similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so often um, when the therapist has a reaction like that, it says so much about the work that the therapist is not doing. Because I have a hard time believing that a therapist can talk about sex extensively with their friends, family members, peers, whatever, and then come in the room and suddenly not be able to talk about it. Um, If you can't, it's same with race. If you can't, if you're not talking about it with all the people in your life, I certainly don't think that you're going to be able to talk about it with your clients. And there's something um, you said a second ago, and actually I said too, I referred to, we both have been referring to it as the elephant in the room. Um, and I don't like now, like while I'm chewing on that, while I'm thinking about it, I don't think it is, well, at least for black and brown people, it's not an elephant in the room. I think it's more of an elephant in the room for white people. And then it Fair. becomes my elephant when I am not sure if you're able to tolerate it. Right. Then it becomes your ownership of, uh, well, not your ownership the therapist gives you or a black or brown person ownership of a problem that's not theirs. That's not theirs to handle. The discomfort of the white person around race is not a black or brown person's job to manage, even though you're made to all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah. So I, I, let's talk a little bit about the, the nervousness of many, many therapists of bringing up race. And you put in the protocol you can say things like, I feel a little nervous bringing this up. I want to give you space to talk about race and everything that has been happening in the news lately. And outside of our sessions, I'm committed to learning how. I'm not going to do this perfectly, but I don't want to pretend this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah. essentially, just, just saying like, hey, 
I may have fucked this up in the past or I may be fucking this up now, Mm -hmm. but I want to do it. Yeah. Ibram Kendi, who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, among some other really amazing books, talks about how the process of anti-racism, of become, being an anti-racist, does not demand that you do it perfectly. It doesn't, you don't have to be there. I mean, just saying you're anti-racist means that you're actively working. And so I think that's so beautiful because, I mean, how humanizing can it be to have your therapist say, I am not the expert of everything. Because I know our clients often, sometimes, think that, okay, my therapist is the expert. I'm going to bring this problem to them and they're going to help me fix it because they are the, they know things that I don't about human brain, blah, blah, blah. They're the professionals. And well, the way I approach therapy is to like dispel that right away. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm in therapy myself, you know, I don't That's have right. to figure it out. I'm just That's an objective right. person that knows a little bit about the human brain is going to help you tackle all this shit. But I think there's still this idea that we have to be perfect, which is a tenant of white supremacy, perfection, that we, if you can't do it perfectly, don't do it at all. It's so much. Why? Why? Yeah. It's so right? much weight. It's too much. Come on, it's white people. Too it's much. too much. It's not it's attainable. Too much. It's, it's not. not attainable or realistic. And so for you to say to your client, you know what? I am humble in this. I am learning. I'm not going to ask you to educate me. And I want to make sure that we are addressing this thing that is very real and very present for you. And for me, I mean, it's not like we're bringing up this thing that only affects your black and brown clients. It affects, it affects white therapists too. White and non-black therapists. I think, and and in the way of, especially, I mean, white supremacy is a systematic, absolute historical um, problem is not a big enough word. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just not. But that being said, I, Brene Brown talks about perfectionism as a shield and being a double-edged sword because there's the reward of being the perfectionist, right? The reward of being the perfectionist is getting the A or getting the privilege or getting whatever it is. But the other side of it is not seeing how that perfectionism and oppression are tied together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I struggle with Brene Brown sometimes. I appreciate your example. And I struggle with Brene Brown sometimes. Because <laughs> Say it. Say it. She's, she's just like, she made everybody think that therapy is magic. I, just, <laughs> I know. Like, every I know. time I see like a quote or like she had these magic sentences. <laughs> I'm working through this with my own therapist. So I, I'm appreciating also the, the counter transference. Um, beautiful, beautiful. But, Bring it on. Let's do yeah. it. But also I agree with that, that because it's not realistic, it's not attainable, it's not possible. And even if you get it, first of all, at what cost? And also, what does that mean in a society that (laughs) is essentially made up, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, We made all this up. We made all these levels up and, and, and our culture is so westernized. Our understanding of intelligence is based in white supremacy. Our understanding of success is based in white supremacy. So what even does it mean to be perfect at something? Yes. And these, these systems that we have created that create this pressure. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that you brought up like the criticism of Brene Brown, because I, I mean, shout out to Brene Brown, make that money, right? Like I want everybody to make that a lot of money. I I mean, I, I'm not going to be mad at anybody that, that, that has a job and is trying really hard out here, but also like, admitting that the 
the privilege in which you have stepped into came well before these magic statements, right? And being able to sell the magic statements comes from a a certain level of privilege that uh, black and brown people won't necessarily have. Yeah. And the idea that there is something or some statement that's going to fix things, which I don't know if she's saying that. I also don't know if she's not saying that. But when I think about Brene Brown and the cultures of therapists that I step into, my fellow black and brown therapists definitely don't talk about her as much, which I think is an interesting dynamic. Absolutely. I think you're, you're, I I would, uh, that's a whole other episode we need to do. I hear it it already. (laughs) I do want to make sure that we, we hit some of these other directives because I think your, your directives are so, I'm going to make sure everybody has all of your contact information so that if you do want to be able to use this protocol, Elizabeth first and foremost deserves to be paid for this, but also like it is highly directive. So you don't feel so lost in this conversation because you know, like our, our brain is, is incredibly powerful. Our threat system in particular is incredibly powerful. That amygdala goes off, that smoke detector goes off and we think that there's some sort of threat in the room. And when in reality, that's, that's ours as clinicians to manage for ourselves, not our, not our clients. So you say, I, I know that I'm, I am white slash not your race and can't possibly understand what you might be going through. I want you to know that I am open to hearing anything you need to process right now. Mm-hmm. Being game, yeah. being game is what you're talking about. Can you, yeah. can you explore that a little bit for me? Sure. So that's an invitation for me. the therapist. Yeah. It's an invitation for the therapist to open up really and be honest, like whatever, whatever the client needs to process is fair game. So if the client says, I really hate white people right now, you just notice where you feel that in your body and just hold it and then validate, just like nod empathetically. That's all you have to do. You don't have to say not all white people or, but what about, or could there be two other reasons that you can identify why you might be feeling, don't say any of that. Just I hear you (laughs) or shut your mouth. (laughs) Just close your mouth. Close it. Yeah. Um, And I want to speak to that nervous system response that you mentioned just now that those feelings that come up sometimes that I've heard white therapists, what they've told me come up sometimes that feeling of like shame and um, discomfort, and I'm not going to do this perfectly. And that's just something that you have to hold and take to supervision and take to your therapist because it's not about you. And I think that feeling is what makes people shy away or say things like, well, it couldn't be, or I'm not sure about because they, the thing about white supremacy culture and the thing about this issue of race in general is that it turns that mirror around to non-Black and non-people of color, where they have to look at themselves and understand where they fit in this system of complicity with a system of oppression. And it's hard for people to look in the mirror like that. So when a Black or Brown client says something that is that it it can be felt as an attack on the white person, which is a misperception because <laughs> it's not about you, white person. It's about you, the system, or maybe it is about you, white person, if you have done something. And it's also about the system, the system of oppression that has been pervasive for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm so glad you said like, hold that. 
mm-hmm. and then take it to supervision or your own therapy. Preferably both. Yes. Both, both, both. And both. And yeah. yes. And yes. Your, do both. And your- and your book group where you get your therapist together to discuss white fragility. Take it everywhere. <laughs> I shouldn't be giggling, but I but I am because that is that's a lot of that is happening right now. Where there's white, there's many white therapists meeting up in book clubs and they're discussing white fragility. Also, you know, check out Layla Syed book, Me and White Supremacy. Mm-hmm, so good. Y'all, the journal prompts. Come on look into it, but also like have these frank conversations about like the the physical experience without your client sitting in front of you. Yes. If the first and only time you talk about race is with your clients, stop, (laughs) stop, just don't do it. This guy does not apply to you. Don't do anything except go back to the book club and go get a supervisor who is versed in systems of oppression. Beautifully put, beautifully put. The next thing you say in the protocol is, would you like to talk about the protest in Minnesota? Please feel free to say no. Again, giving permission. Mm -hmm. Yes. Blown away here. Thanks. Um, I've had some, I don't want to say backlash, pushback from some Black therapists who really feel, who, who really feel like white therapists should not bring this up. And I hear that perspective um, because they feel like white therapists have done so much damage and have so much potential to do damage if they don't know how to hold the conversation that result that comes as a result of this conversation, that they may do more harm than good by bringing it up. So I hear that. I hear that pushback and, and they know more about their communities than I do and not in their community. So I hear that too. So it's, but that's kind of, you know, another thing of white supremacy is that it's either or. And it doesn't have to be. Some people will read my guide and be like, absolutely, this is what I need. This is great for my clients. I need this. And some other therapists will say, this is not appropriate. This should not happen. And we don't have to pick. You can just evaluate your, do some inner work, evaluate your system and figure out what's going to be best for you. But that is not an excuse to not do anything. In fact, that's more of an invitation to continue doing your work, to understand the systems you're in, to feel, to feel out what's going to be appropriate. Yes, you're encouraging flexibility of experience and thought. Yeah, imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, sorry, that was a joke, but really, we do not encourage that in this society at all. Fair. I I think, absolutely. And I think therapists in particular, uh, we do that. We we encourage people to explore their own perspectives. We encourage people to explore their own life, their own histories, and increase their own flexibility of thought and experience. Yet when race and sex, so I'm going to make this parallel again to sex, this absolute like it's like a shutdown happens. It it is like a shutdown happens. And then like all the skills, the therapeutic skills, like walk out the door. And I do think it has a, a lot to do, especially the white therapists who have do experience that the, the physiological experience and do, don't know how to manage it in the room. Not a, not an excuse or a pass, just acknowledging what may be happening for them. And I often tell therapists something actually very similar to what you're saying about, like, you can do more harm if you do not know how to tackle this conversation in a way that honors the client and not, not you. 
when it comes to sex, I can't tell you how many times a therapist has has said something maybe to me or maybe even talked about a way a session went. And I'm like, yo, if you don't have the background on sexuality and sexual health, you absolutely can do harm and reinforce shame and reinforce these systems and reinforce cultural norms in quotation marks. Nobody can mm-hmm. see me doing that. Mm-hmm. That are oppressive. Right, right. Which is why at the end of the guide, and I'm sure you'll get to this, I offer some suggested responses. Oh, um, let's just jump in. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Let's just jump right into those suggested exp- responses. Yeah. So if you're aware that this is an ongoing journey for you or that you're at the beginning of the journey, then lean on the motivational interviewing, you know, validate, validate. Just say, I hear you. I see you. Wow. Thank you for telling me. That's it. So you don't have to be, you know, 10 years down your journey to say, thank you for telling me. And I see you. Yes. I, I, I do wonder, like it, it, it pops up in my head when I'm, I wonder how much social media has encouraged, increased, shifted, shaped, however I want to say this. Many people, maybe white people in particular, feeling like they have to respond. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I wonder if it does impact, you know, here's anybody who's doing PhD, come on. Get get the research. We need to see. Like, uh-huh. I, I wonder, like, if it does reinforce this idea that you have to respond or that it needs to be a debate. Uh, when in yeah. reality, therapy is meant to be connective. Right, right. That's an interesting point because now I'm thinking about, and I am not in a white body to know this, but I wonder for people who are feel awkward about talking about race still, if if client if the client brings up race or it gets brought up somehow. And in their head, I imagine they're going, the white therapist is going, oh my God, it's happening. What do I do? Okay. I don't want them to think I'm a racist. I got to say something. No, don't say anything. Well, but what did I not enough? Okay. Maybe I should say something so that they know that I'm hearing them, but maybe I should say nothing. Uh, there's a silence. What do I do? Mm-hmm. And then they say something. Mm-hmm. I, I, I actually, because I have heard uh, therapists when I'm working with them about sex like that, it, it's very similar when it comes to sex, <laughs> like that exact, like headspace like oh it's what do I do I don't I'm not a sex therapist I don't know what to do I don't know what to say and now I'm an imposter right now I'm a bad and therapist. they want to continue to have they want to continue to have the dialogue and we're taught so much as therapists that we should challenge and like help people find their growing edges that we need to say something to spur on continued dialogue and to challenge their thought but just talking about sex and sexual trauma and race and racial trauma that's probably not the right time to challenge somebody's idea about what happened or not idea about what happened challenge what happened Coming back to the responses that you can use, I can't begin to understand what this mu- this must be like for you. Mm-hmm. That is a powerful statement when it comes to race. It is a powerful statement when it comes to sex. It is a powerful mm-hmm. statement when it comes to just identifying uh, the human that is sitting in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that acknowledgement that you don't know what it's like to walk in their shoes. That you don't know what their experience has been like, and you're not an expert in it but just that you're with them on whatever journey they're on. You're standing at the edge of the map and you're looking at it together. I love it. Would you like for me to bring this up again in future sessions? I won't be hurt if you say no. 
there's that permission giving us that again. And, and then also planting the seed to say like, Hey, this door is open for you to say more later. Mm-hmm. Yes. And not just the, um, I won't be heard if you say no as, as con- an action of consent, but also would you like for me, me therapist, would you like for me to bring this up? Because it is my responsibility to help you feel supported in this room. And I am, and if you don't feel, because actually let me pause there because I know I'm somebody's client. I'm a client of a white therapist and I need help sometimes bringing up race. And I need her to help me do that because I have, you know, I'm a black woman walking in the world. I'm a product of racial trauma. And I'm terrified that when I bring up something in session that she's not going to validate me. She's not going to see me. And that's not a reflection of her as a therapist. That's more about my experience of what it's like talking about race with people who have invalidated me and microaggressed me and caused me harm. So I'm scared. I'm scared to bring it up. So when she helps me open that door and says, Hey, you know, I heard about what happened with Ahmaud Aubrey. I'm wondering how that's impacting you. Then I can just like fall through that door and be like, oh, thank you. Cause I wanted to bring it up, but I didn't know if you'd seen the news. I didn't know if you cared. I didn't know whose side you were on, but even the act of her bringing it up says I'm joining with you. I see you. I want to join with you. I want to be with you in this thing that's happening. Sitting in what can feel, of course, I'm not sitting in a black body, so I don't know what that feels like, but being able to say to your therapist, I need someone to navigate this fear with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The power that that has, the connectedness that 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 can create. It creates a level of safety and and a, and a relationship with a therapist that I'm, I'm often telling therapists, if you can build that trusting relationship, that trusting relationship with that client can take you a really long way. And you oh, can, yeah. you can fuck up a lot, not giving permission to fuck up and do it on purpose, but like mm-hmm. you can, you can rest on that solidly built relationship. And I guess that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And repair is one of the most important things because you're going to do harm. That's just a fact. You're going to do harm at some point. This isn't just related to racial trauma and it is specifically related to racial trauma. You're going to do harm. So knowing that you're going to do harm, you also need to know how to repair the relationship once harm has happened. And that is so important because that's the difference between me saying, I felt dismissed and I never went back to this person in my life. And me saying, well, my therapist was able to acknowledge that these were her feelings that she was dealing with and she held them. And she said, I see you. I want to work through this. Let's, let's figure out how to make this better together. And we kept going. So here are some options on how I can show up for you slash support you. Let's brainstorm together for what that might look like and add that to that list. Yes. Yeah, that one collaboration. Yes, because I think what happens a lot is that the white therapist says, help me help you. And they say, like, tell me what to do. I want to help. I don't know what to do. And then that puts work on the client. So the way I phrased that was like, I, therapist, am going to offer some potential ways. I've brought something to the table. I have something that is on the table for us to work on. I am not making, I'm not requiring you to create the table and what sits on it. I have a table. I have some options. 
does this work for you? What might this look like? And can we add to it? So that even if the client has nothing to add to the list, they don't have to feel the pressure of having to create something for the therapist. In many of the cross-cultural consideration experiences that we had, we talked a lot about giving yourself the opportunity to, to meet with the client, make mistakes, but also just sit with whatever's in the room. And then after you've left that room, that's where you can come up with your ideas for what the table needs to be built on. Mm-hmm. You can read, you can mm-hmm. look for con- the communities that this person may belong to that you need to be informed about, whether it's racial, religious, what whatever the case may be, that then you can, you absolutely can tackle some of these issues, but you can do it in this this fashion that is honoring to the person, the individual who's in front of you, and also not make them responsible to speak for an entire culture on their own. Ugh. Ugh. Yes. Let's I yeah. mean, let's talk about that a little bit. It feels <laughs> yeah, you're already no, exhausted. Okay. I'm asking you to talk about it. <laughs> that's okay. I I consented to this, right? <laughs> um I ugh, I just don't even know where to start with that. We are not a monolith. No Once you figure out one black or brown person, you have not figured out all of us. And so that client that I talked about earlier when we were discussing this, who says, no, I would not like to talk about this. That doesn't mean that no black person wants to talk about this. That just means that one client doesn't want to talk about it. And you cannot, you can't use one framework, which is my issue with those textbooks. You know, you can't use one, one size does not fit all. If you have a hundred black people in a room, all that means is you have a hundred different ways to do therapy. Yes. I, I, I remember when I worked in it, it worked in an agency, which I will not name. Hmm. And this agency required us with every single client that had any kind of identity that wasn't white. Okay. So wasn't mm-hmm. white, which I was just like that on its own. I was like, okay, oh yeah. Okay. Required us to call the essentially like a cultural considerations consult. And every time I would call, there was like three or four clinicians that were involved in this consultation team. Every time I would call them, essentially they would give me this stereotyped cultural like overview of, right? Of a person and, or a group of people and their religious or racial identities. We were required to do it, required to call this and do these cultural consultations and then put in our paperwork that we did them. Wow. Every single time I did one of these, the person who I was talking to, I'm like, I've been talking to this because of course, because all of us, all of us therapists who work for this agency are all calling these three people. So I had probably been working with said client for like three months before I would have talked to this person. And every single time this would happen, I would say, this doesn't apply at all to my client and their identity. That's not how they see the world. It's not how they understand themselves. So why again do I have to do this? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and and I, I, t- I just, I'm just, it blew me away every single time. You, you yeah. go ahead. While you're talking about that too, I'm thinking about what a disservice this is to white people too, you know? <laughs> like, that also says that 
you are not an individual and we already know about you and there's no, there's nothing I need to learn about your culture in order to work with you. That's an insult too. And that's the thing about white supremacy. It doesn't serve white people either. No, absolutely not. And it also doesn't like these calls that we had to make left no agency around the clinical relationship with the client and how flexible that could be based on that one person's experience and that therapist's experience. Yeah. So even if that that therapist belonged to that community, they still had to do these cultural calls. <laughs> it's just, Ugh. it didn't. And that, the frustration, I mean, we could be here all day talking about that, like the barriers that that caused for access to care, uh, to me, were atrocious. Yeah. I, I mean, y'all, we need an overhaul of our mental health systems. No <laughs> we, kidding. We need an overhaul of our police systems. We need an overhaul of our jail systems. We need an, over, we need an overhaul. Overhaul. Oh, overhaul. The whole thing. Yeah. Right, start again. So all that being said, you you and I, you are just a blessing to us. I, I so appreciate that you've been here to talk to me about this. I want to make sure that we talk about this the, this final part on the protocol Uh, You say, then validate, validate, validate. Do not talk about your own personal experience with racism unless invited or unless you have asked permission. You're welcome. And also check on your black colleagues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So the the last suggestion, um, because I I think sometimes what happens in that joining process is in the relationship is that the white therapist wants to say like, oh, I see you and I have an experience that's like that. Let me tell you about it. (laughs) <laughs> full stop don't do that unless the client says have you ever experienced this before and then even then you know you've been invited but also be careful mm-hmm. use your discretion and then the other thing that uh, you're welcome i mean that um and the check on your black colleagues i wrote that before i got 500 messages from people that I hadn't talked to in years who just discovered that racism existed. So I scratched that. Like maybe don't check on your blood or maybe like ask them permission if they want to be ask if they want to be checked on. Yes. Um, Cause they can say same with your clients. You can say like, do you have space to process this? And if they don't, and they don't want to say, okay, anyway, about that weather or whatever. Yeah. So maybe uh, use discretion when you're checking on your black colleagues. Cause by now, I am tired, and I wonder if they are too. <laughs> hmm. Fair. I'm just. I, I'm just imagining all of my fellow white people reaching out to the black friend that they had mm-hmm. from 15 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, just ask permission. I think that's really that's the best rule of thumb. Ask permission, and allow yourself to stop moving your mouth. Yeah. Just listen. Cause we've been, these are things that we've been saying for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We, we just need you to shut up and walk alongside or behind. <laughs> yes. I'm nodding ferociously yeah. over here. You know, I, I, again, you have been such a blessing to the show and I so appreciate your willingness to do this probably yet again for the millionth time <laughs> that you've had this discussion. And um, how do people find you in the world? What do you got going on? Yeah. Um, so the best way, the central way that um, I'm able to 
keep people updated with what I'm doing is my website, which is elizabethmccorvey.com. That's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H-M-C-C-O-R-V-E-Y.com. And from there, you can get to my Psychology Today page. You can find out about my um, anti-racism consultation. And you can also, there's a link where um, I I co-facilitate trainings for therapists with a colleague and you can find a link to that too. So that's the hub. Woo, woo. It will all be in the show notes and I, you know, folks just, just get the protocol, get the protocol, pay Elizabeth, pay Elizabeth to come speak, do all the things. (laughs) Thank you again for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Folks have a great day and thanks for sticking around to the end. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media, and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the Gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.